Jin. And um, it took me a while to have a discussion and a little bit of an argument with him as to if he's sure. Um, so we are going to do a study on the book of Leviticus. And um, doesn't that sound like fun? It's that book so often flipped over by most folks when they study the word. And uh, so when we come to the book of Leviticus, what I'm going to do is approach this book in understanding what it truly, truly implies. Because the book of Leviticus is a manual, it's a handbook that God gave the nation of Israel to meet with him. Isn't it interesting that this is a book about preparing yourself to meet with God? And yet, as the church, we, we look over this book so quickly because it's full of blood and animals and goats and bulls and fire and altars, and it's like, oh, thank God we don't have to deal with any of that. But all of that is dealt with everything that means coming to God in. Christ fulfilled all of it. And if we're going to be in Christ, we need to be in this book. And this book tells us what it means to meet with God. It's the heart of God's passion for a book that seems to be so dull and so out of reach for us and out of context for our understanding. It's filled of the passion of God. Yeah, it is filled with life and death, blood and fire, the passions of pain and sin and redemption and freedom and life. It's a book filled with the passion of God. He says, I want to meet with you. And so we want to find ourselves in an introduction of this book this morning. It's about a relationship with God, coming into fellowship and intimacy with God. So we have to look past some of the archaic Old Testament sacrificial understanding of things and see the heart behind it. Transform beyond the culture. And, and the liturgy to see what is at the root of it, heart to heart, spirit to spirit, communion and fellowship, that the two may become one. It's truly the heart of God. And so it is a book of relationship. God called Israel out of bondage and sin to come into life and freedom. Does that sound familiar to you? The church is the called out. We're called out from the world of sin and bondage to meet with God, to join with God in covenant and become one with Him. He demonstrated His power over Egypt to release them and set them free. Jesus demonstrated His power over sin and death and the grave and destroyed it to set us free. God is a God of power. And when Israel saw the raw power of God, they were afraid of Him. When they saw the holiness, the otherness of God, the majesty of who He is, to call forth plagues, to set up and establish the boundaries of nations and kingdoms, and to call out a people from one kingdom, and to bring them forth as His judge against another nation and a number of nations in the promised land, and to be used by God in such a ferocious way, the people were afraid of Him. 
But that all it, what it proved and what it showed is not how fearful and awesome God is to them, but how he is towards sin. But when he's on your side, that's the power you want to be with. And that awesome power of God turns and to you and says, meet with me. Come join me. And so the people of Israel wanted to do this, but God had to prepare them. He is a holy God. You have to get prepared. How many of you dressed up today? Looks like most of you did. How many of you combed your hair this morning? Looks like most of you did. How many of you brushed your teeth? Come on now. Clean socks? Okay, good. Right? You got prepared because you might meet someone, I would hope. But you prepare yourself to come together here. How we must prepare ourselves for the Lord. We must... We must prepare ourselves to meet with Him, to to have a heart that's serious, a a heart that's concerned with what does it mean to talk to a living God, a holy God. And so there are means by which we need to be prepared. God called Israel out and He said, we're going to have a marriage. And he drew close to them so that he would become the center of their lives. If you remember, they met him at at Mount Sinai and they were scared to death of him. They saw him as he fought for them. And that power overwhelmed them. But when he entered into covenant with them at Mount Sinai, he no longer wanted to speak to them from a mountain. He wanted to speak to them from their heart, from the center of the camp, from the center of their being, He wanted to dwell with them and be in their midst and then teach them how to have God in their heart. Doesn't that sound like a message for the church? That God is in us. Each one of us has God dwelling within us. And God wants to speak into our heart and be the center of our lives. And the book of Leviticus is all about that. It's about how to hear the voice of God coming from the center of your lives, coming out from your heart. His house was called a dwelling place. To tabernacle means to dwell. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, dwelt among us. Jesus came. Now, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came and tabernacled. He came within us to dwell in us. Leviticus is a picture of what God was going to do and planned to do and purposed to do. And now in this dispensation, this age, where God dwells within every believer, not just in a tent in the neighborhood. He's not just in this building. He's here because you're here. Because you bring the presence of God with you. He tabernacles in you. So this is a book of Leviticus that teaches us how to live with God in our dwelling. The book of Leviticus is a description of how to draw near to God and the heart preparation for that process. It's God's provision for deeper fellowship. It's time for us to move beyond prayers of supplication. Oh God, I need this. God, I need that. God, I need this. Thank God we, we can cry out to Him for those things. But it's going deeper to say, oh God, let's meet heart to heart. 
Let me feel the warmth of the fire from the altar in which Christ was sacrificed. Let me find that fellowship of suffering with Christ, Paul said, so that I may understand the power of the resurrection. The book of Leviticus is filled with that. How to have clean hands and a pure heart before God. Israel literally acted this stuff out. But all it showed was what our heart condition was supposed to be through the whole activity. Why do you teach your kids at the table to be polite? Huh? Say please, say thank you, please may I have the mashed potatoes. Thank you, you may have the mashed potatoes. May I be excused? Yes, you may be excused. Why do we teach that? So they know how to behave. So they know how to behave. Do we know how to behave with a holy God? It's time for us to grow up. We give allowance to children at the table, right? They spill milk. This is the fifth time this week you've spilled this milk. And it goes right into the crack that goes down the table, onto the floor, right? How many of you know that? Right? Should we still be spilling our milk at the table when we're 25, when we're 30, when we're 50? Shouldn't we know through a deeper walk in God, how to be prepared to commune and fellowship with God. God wants a people who know how to pray for the sick and pray for those who are hurting and pray. God wants us to know how to come before His throne boldly, but not, not, just, not just to ask for our needs, but to begin commissioning and calling forth, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Leviticus teaches these deeper things. It shows us how to walk into the presence of God. Would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 40? Before we can get into the book of Leviticus, let's see what actually took place right before it. Exodus chapter 40. Amen. The Exodus is the history that tells us what took place. And we begin at Exodus 40, and it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the first month. Then he begins to tell him, Okay, see, the furniture you made, all that cool stuff, the Ark of the Covenant, you sculpted it, you made gold on it, and you made an incense table, you made a candelabra, you made all this cool stuff. Now let's put it together. Do you remember why he made it? It was an exact representation of heaven. Hebrews 10 tells us that God told Moses, you sure better do this right, buddy. Because what you're doing is a representation of heaven, and I don't want it misrepresented. Bezalel was the first artisan. It says that the Spirit of God came upon him so that he could do precisely all the measurements that God had given Moses on that mountaintop. Isn't it that the church is supposed to represent the kingdom of God? Are we measuring up to be the exact representation of what the kingdom of God should look like? Ooh, we need some plumb lines once again, and we need to get the measuring sticks out. Oh, don't be so legalistic about that. Shouldn't we be a little bit serious about what we're to represent the kingdom of God? And I'm afraid that it's been misrepresented. 
And so we must do our part as best we can to align with the Word. He said, put things in order. Get the tent out. I told you how to make it. Put the ark of the testimony in there. Shield the ark with a curtain. Bring the table and set out what belongs on it. Bring the lampstand and its lamps. Place the gold altar of incense in the ark of testimony. Then he goes on and he says, bring the altar for the burnt offering. Put the basin between the tent and meeting and then put the water in it. He explained all of what that was supposed to do and what it represented. It's the full tabernacle. Then he says, take the anointing oil, verse 9, and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. Consecrate it and all its furnishings to be holy. In other words, set it apart for what I am calling calling it to do. We are sanctified. That oil that was put on that furniture to separate it, you didn't pull up a card table. The priests didn't go into the temple and play euchre on this furniture. It was wholly set apart for God. How about you? You were called out of the world. You were consecrated by the oil of the Holy Spirit that poured into you so that you would be a dwelling place of God and you would be a holy people. That's us. Then he says, put uh, a tent around it. Take the anointing oil. Consecrate it. We'll go on. Verse 12. Bring Aaron and his sons. Dress them accordingly. Anoint them. And it says, verse 16, Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded. 17. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month of the second year. And Moses set up the tabernacle. He put the bases in place. Then he did the outer court, see? And there was an outer court that God had described. He took the testimony or the the, the law and he placed it in the ark. Attached the poles. They brought it in. Set the table in. Set the lampstand. Placed the gold altar. Verse 29, set the altar of burning. Verse 30, he placed the basin between the tent. Did everything God told him to do. And in verse 34, what happens? Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they would not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. Wow. That's something. The glory of God, the the presence of God, the Chabad of God, the weight of His presence was in their midst. And then we come to the book of Leviticus because he says, here I am. I'm with you now. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You're my covenant people. I am your covenant God. My presence abides in the center of your being. All of this is a representation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're not missing out on anything. They're missing out on what we got. We've got better than they had. But some of us act as if the Old Testament's better than the New. Some of us would rather have a burning cloud at night and a cloud during the day. That burning cloud at night didn't tell you when you were far away from the camp what was right and what was wrong. That burning cloud didn't speak into your heart and soul and say, you know what, let's not use that language. Let's not have that opinion of a brother or a sister. Let's get it right. 
Because that burning cloud is now right here in the midst of us. And that sacrifice that was poured out to keep that cloud in the center of the people is the blood of Jesus Christ that keeps his cloud in me. It's more than a cloud. It's the person of God. Thank God. The book of Leviticus is going to teach us how to walk when that cloud moves. When the Spirit of God moves us, we're to move with Him. And when He gives us an unction to speak, or an unction to pray, or an unction to step back and to discern, that's what Leviticus is trying to teach us, a deeper walk with a present and abiding God in our midst. This isn't has been what used to be. This is a reality for us now. Paul said all things in the Old Testament were written for our understanding and for our purpose. So we thank God for that. How do you like that? A campfire. God brought a campfire. He was the campfire. Right in the center of the people. The purpose is how to live. How to live as God's wife really what it was. God married himself to Israel. Said, you're my wife. How many times did he call her an adulterous woman, right? She would cheat on him. So the bottom line is God said, I'm marrying you. You're my beloved. And I want to teach you now, Israel, how to walk and how to be a wife of the king. How to walk in the honor of being the wife of the God of the universe. Because between the God of this universe and Israel, my wife, we're going to have a child. And that child that we're going to have is the Messiah, and he is going to come forth and save mankind. I need you to be faithful, wife. I need you to know how to walk in the stature of being the wife of God. Is it any less that we are the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we've been called to walk with the bridegroom and serve him? So Leviticus is a marriage manual. It's a marriage manual to heal our inability to relate to God in love. How many of you have ever bought a book on, on your, for marriage, improving your marriage? Come on. I would hope that all of you would raise your hand. It's the truth. Most of us spend years in college for the career we're going to spend maybe 30 to 40 years in, but we've never studied enough for the marriage that's supposed to last a lifetime. Not even read a book on it. But yet we've studied engineering. We've studied how to, how to do math and how to do arithmetic, but we don't know how to relate to the opposite sex that we're married to. Some of you moved on and got a master's degree, but you can't keep your marriage together. Right? How much study have we put into our marriages and our relationships? Learning how to live and communicate as God would have us live and communicate. We must study. That's a free commercial coming up as our Marriage Covenant Institute on <laughs> Tuesday nights. I would encourage you to attend. So he wants to marry he gives three keys in the Old Testament to how to be married to God. So he says this, first of all, I'm in covenant with you. And so in the book of Leviticus, you begin to understand what it means to be in covenant, the cost of being in covenant. 
That God said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. I will be faithful to you no matter what. Did Israel understand the depth of that? No, it was the one thing they could not get in their heart that they were married to God. They kept whoring after other gods and idols. They kept sleeping around with other gods and idolatry. It broke God's heart that they couldn't stay faithful to him. And Leviticus is telling us it's a marriage book, a how-to for dummies. I bought that marriage book too. My library is filled with marriage books, not just because I teach the class, it's because i got to learn how to do the thing. i got to know how to be married. So I bought marriage for dummies. Sure. And so the book of Leviticus is almost the same thing. Let me teach you how to be married to me, how to address me, how to approach me, and so I can approach you. And we can be in love with each other. And we can have intimate conversation and unite together as one. Because covenant is all about the two shall be one. Do you understand what God was saying? When you read the book of Deuteronomy, you'll see that he says, every nation will be jealous of you because I'm your God. Because the law I give you, and that's the second thing he gave, is the law I give you. The understanding between us, my marriage covenant with you, when you speak vows at the altar, I promise to love you in sickness and in health, for richer and for poorer. It's the law of God. It's the covenant promises. He said, I promise to do this and I promise to do that. Will you do this and do that for me? I said, yeah, but they kept breaking their vows. And he said, every nation will look at the law of Israel with envy. That's why they would be the light of the world because they're married to the true living God. And because of that, they shall prosper in their land. Their crops shall never fail. They shall always be healthy and they will be blessed above all other nations. Hey, when you're married to King God, you got a good thing going. But they kept playing the harlot, the tramp. What last of all Leviticus tells us and the Old Testament tells us is the sacrifice in which God gave. You see, we read this thing wrong. We read Leviticus about all the sacrifices we're supposed to bring. Can I tell you what every sacrifice points to? God's heart. God's sacrifice of continually laboring with the stiff-necked people. Pouring out his love day after day as they cheat on him, steal from him, rob and kill each other. But his blood and sweat points to a day when he himself would take on flesh and show the greatest sacrifice of love anyone could ever see. Oh, the book of Leviticus is a rich, rich book of love and sacrifice of God towards us. When you put your hand on that animal who was beating and breathing its last breath and last heartbeat. You felt it as its breath began to cease as the blood poured out and the warmth of that animal went cold. You touched it. You had to be connected to it. You had to touch the heart of God as Jesus Christ hung on that cross for you and I. Oh, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Oh, the book of Leviticus a book rich of the love of God. 
How to Live as One. It's a romantic book. He said to them, no more cheating. No more sleeping around. I should be your one and only. I want to be your first thought when you wake up in the morning. I want to be your last thought when you go to bed at night. I want you to sleep well to know that your husband is burning in the night like a fire in your midst over you so that you will be safe and protected. The enemy will not snatch you out of my hand. Be faithful to me and I will be forever faithful to you. These are the vows of God. Why do we so quickly... Brothers and sisters, why do we so quickly blame God for abandoning us? It's everything opposed to the Word of God. Everything He said for thousands of years in Scripture. I'll never leave you, I'll never leave you, I'll never leave you. And we don't get what we want, or we're going through trial or suffering, and we say, God, where are you? Really? Really? I do it too. I do it too. I'm offended with me. He stays faithful. He stays faithful. Because he's in covenant with us. God cannot lie. God cannot break covenant. He kept trying to tell Israel this over and over and over. And the book of Leviticus promises this over and over and over. Amazing. He is going to have the Messiah, and through him he's going to save mankind. It's awesome. Let's look at the name Leviticus. Now, in the Old Testament, turn to the book of Leviticus. In the Old Testament, Leviticus is the third book of the five books of Moses. Call it the Torah. And in the, in, in the five books of Moses... These books were originally known in the first words of the first sentence of the book. The title Leviticus came after many, many years when they compiled the Septuagint, the, the Greek writing of the Old Testament. In the 400 years of silence between Malachi and when Christ came, the, the, the Jewish uh, scholars and, and rabbis put together and compiled the Old Testament and, and they put it into the Greek language of the day, and it's called the Greek Septuagint. And it's at that time they called this book Leviticus. Because the Greek word for Leviticus means of the Levites. Because the Levites were the priestly tribe that, that ministered in the tabernacle and mediated between God and the people. The marriage counselors. <laughs> But the original term, if you will, the original name of this book, look at Leviticus 1, verse 1. You ready for the name of the book? Read it with me. The Lord called. There it is. That's the name of this book. Now that sounds a little bit more romantic to me. The Lord called. So I'm going to make reference when we're in the book of uh, Leviticus, because that sounds cold and kind of like a, a work list of what's supposed to happen. But this book is called The Lord Called. The Lord Called. 
we so often think we found him. We think we made him our God. We chose him after deliberating and all of our genius. We thought, yeah, we'll take him. I'll take him, him and him. Only so much of him. That's how we... <laughs> I, wanted to, I want you to know something. The reason you're saved today is because the Lord called. He came after you. Wow. Wow, what a privilege. He wooed me. He came after me. He wanted to marry me. And he wooed and called unto me. And that's awesome. And he says this in verse 1. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Where did he speak before? Out of a burning bush, from Mount Sinai, up on the mountain, up in a cloud, and everything. Now... He's in the center of their heart. He's right in the center of the camp. And out of the heart of that camp, you see, all the tribes were to face the presence of God. They were to line up on the north, the south, the east, and the west. By the way, do you know what symbol that forms? The cross. And at the heart of the cross is God's presence. Father's glory and heart. And out of the center of that heart, he calls. He calls. You see, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Because Father calls from the heart. He calls from the cross. It says in John 1.18, from the bosom of the Father, Christ came. From the heart of God. He is the heartbeat of God. He is the heart calling to us. And he said, the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Now come on, when it's something's called the tent of meeting, what do you think you do there? You meet! Yeah. Who do you meet with? God. So the invitation comes from him. Would you meet with me? Would you meet with me? Could you meet with me? How often during the day, from the heart of God's Spirit dwelling in us, could you meet with me? Could, could you meet with me? Right, right. Could, you, could you meet with me? Tim, Tim, could you meet? Tim, Tim, could you meet with me? I know you're trying to make a decision here. Tim, could you just, could you meet with me on this? Come on, Tim. Could you, oh, there he goes again. Tim, could you meet with me? I, I, I know you're busy. I get that all the time. I know you're really busy. I wonder how often he's trying to say that to me. Could you meet with me? At where? The tent of meeting. Where's the tent of meeting now? Oh, wow. Oh, this book. Wait till we get into this book. He goes on, he says this. Verse 2, he said, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. Now, the word offering. The word for offering is korban. And it comes from the meaning to draw near. So, 
if, if, if I could paraphrase verses 1 and 2, it goes like this. God is calling to us, saying, if you want to draw near, this is how you do it. The book of Leviticus. I am calling to you, and when you are ready to draw near to me, because the word offering means to draw near. When you're ready to draw near to me, this is how. And he writes the book of Leviticus. This is the protocol. This is the activity. Oh, we don't need all that. We can just, Jesus, how you doing? Hey, need your help down here? There is a truth to that in the sense that Christ fulfilled all that protocol and activity and everything, but could, let's not forget, as I know we make him our pal and our buddy, let's not forget he is God of all. He is an all-consuming fire who shall come to judge the living and the dead. If we would begin to understand, you see, there are some times I talk to my wife, hey, babe, how you doing? There's other times I know that's not the approach I should take. <laughs> and vice versa. There are times when she has to approach me in a different way than what is normal. There are sometimes situations and things we need to discuss that I can't be frivolous and trite about. We've got something very serious to talk about here, honey. You see, it's no different with God. There are times that we cry out, times we ask for need, this, get that, but there are times when we need to understand who we're talking to. I conclude with this this morning as an introduction. First John 4.19. As God said, God called to us when you're ready to draw near. 1 John 4.19 says this. We love because he first loved us. A little earlier in that passage of 1 John chapter 4, it says in verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made perfect or complete in us. And it all began because God called us. And if God called us and we draw near to him, we should be able to draw near to each other. And the demonstration of that love is found in the atoning sacrifice of his son. Now, why did John use the word atoning sacrifice? Because atoning sacrifice immediately takes us back to Leviticus and to understand what that means and the weight and the passion of that sacrifice. He calls us. He calls us. And so we begin to look at the book of Leviticus as a love call, a call of passion, a call for response, a 
call of covenant commitment. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Don't give up on me. Don't look for another. Don't let your heart stray. Don't be confused. I am in this always. And I will be with you even to the end of this age. Let's bow our heads.